You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 165. My name is Marvin Yue and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have the once in future professional Asian American just you. Up, hey guys? Marvin. Oh, I am I like as I'm sure we will discover we uh, we are all in poor physical shape this week. <laughs> so, I've been better, but um yeah, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, you um you went to more concerts this weekend and mm. this one wrecked I, you. This one wrecked me, um, and I'm still in recovery. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. No regrets, but it is atypical, and I'm just like, who knows what it is? Um, you know, I'm just trying to ride it out. It may be COVID. It may be something else. Um, but but Marvin, you definitely know what is wrong with you. Oh, yeah. I, I have the COVID again. Oh, man. Again. Second so time? Third second? time? My second bout with COVID, yeah, it's wow. much lighter this time. But unfortunately, um, I did pass it on to my wife. So, Ooh, um, I thought she had it already. No, and- this is her first time. She dodged oh. the bullet the last time. Oh, no. This is her first time? Yeah. Oh, yikes. And I mean, my last bout was like December of last year. So it wasn't even that long ago. It was like less than a year ago. Mm. So I feel like... It's a new strain. I know okay. it's you know, and every time you get it, it's like, is this is this the one that's going to get me right? Because it's like they say it's like Russian roulette, right? You never know if this is the time that's going to like wreck your lungs up, right? Yes, and you know, to be fair, it's also like who knows? Because long term, who knows what's going to happen? But you know, at this point, we've all got it, except maybe Han. <laughs> yeah, so far I haven't ever had a positive test, but as We were just discussing. I was in Houston for my cousin's wedding, uh, which had 300 plus people, which is smaller because her previous wedding had 700 plus people. Oh, my Um, God. Yeah. So I I always feel underdressed. I really should have gotten a nicer dress for this occasion. But at the same time, I had very little time. Anyway, so it meant that I was around a lot of people, many of them who were my family members. Um, A person I will not identify, a family member, does have COVID. Um, One of their closest relatives just had a a 102 fever. So most likely they also have COVID. Um, So um, I have a sort of low-level headache fever, um, which honestly has happened many times during the pandemic and has never been COVID. So it just might be me generally being too tired and staying up with my cousin and watching Love Island um, and just exhausted and I need to take a break after traveling. So we shall see how it plays out. So but I, I am think tired. just yeah. like disclaimer over all this episode, we cannot be held accountable for anything that was said. <laughs> There's maybe like one functioning brain cell amongst the three of us. Which is why we're, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I wore a mask on the plane. I was like, but in Texas, it's very hard to be the only person wearing a mask, I have to say. So, right. uh, Yes, there are. Yeah, there are issues. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So we're all we're we're all running at about like fifty percent, I think, thirty <laughs> percent maybe. <laughs> and that voice, um, who just came back from um, an apparent super spreader event, is our own most professional <laughs> culture editors, Han Win. Yes, a very very uh, festive super spreader. Event. You know, staying up all night watching Love Island, Love Island? with your cousin. 
could also be really great. Um, Oh, it was it was bonding experience. I'm just saying that might also diminish your immune system, which makes you more susceptible to COVID. Oh, it was it was bad because it's like even when we weren't staying up watching Love Island, I was just staying up later than usual, and it was not good. So I feel like there's no better like modern allegory for like being hoisted on your petard than getting COVID because it's always because of your own poor decisions. Well, we shall see. We shall see. I mean, maybe I will get the Huber strain, but... Um. No, man. It just means you're cool and you're friends. <laughs> I'm just saying, I have been more relaxed in my mask discipline, and now I am regretting it. Uh, we well, shall see. it's just gonna, you know, I, I had my physical also this week, which is really ironic because, like, I feel terrible mm. on paper. I look great. Like my <laughs> VP's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, my doctor's like, yeah, no, you look great. Like did mm-hmm. the whole, I'm just like, cool. Um, I remember. Yeah. My doctor was being like, yeah, the COVID shot vaccine booster is mm-hmm. going to be in, here in October. Cause yep. she's like, it's just going to be like flu. I'm like you just got to It's going to come back every year and you just yeah. kind of got to do is, your best. This is our world now. We have to live with COVID and AI apparently so yeah oh how fun this is not this is not the fun cool version of dystopia like where's my cool <laughs> leather jacket but i guess it's too hot to wear like a leather jacket did you hear about the hurricane that's gonna hit us yeah it's gonna be well, I, a tropical it's gonna be a tropical storm, storm. We well that that us, is so. that is like tech that's technical terms because pacific is not supposed to have a hurricane we have tropical stir- storms but we're the fucking pacific and we Usually not supposed to be this warm to yeah. generate enough energy to have this. So I'm like, cool. It, it, cool. it will cool, just cool. be it will just be rainy and a little bit windy. Like I, I having grown up in Houston, like I, I think I know hopefully that this is not one to worry about. Hopefully. I mean, Justin and so. I grew up during El Nino too. So like we've Yeah, yeah but it. like I don't have a fuck I didn't have a fucking hole in my roof that like was <laughs> oh, barely patched right. up during El Nino. This this hole better you, not fucking leak. I cannot you, go through you met, that again. You better go put some uh trash bags over that thing. I feel like I should go get some tarp and just like <laughs> Yes. Do I just, whatever out. you can. I just extra love that this is a very memeable tropical storm because its name is Hillary. Hillary. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. How wonderful. What a world. <laughs> well, speaking of wearing leather jackets in tropical weather, mm-hmm. uh, we're here today to talk about the new Paramount Plus original film, Love in Taipei, um, based on the book Love Boat Taipei by Abigail Hingwen. Um, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture digging us through this week. Uh, let's start with Jess. What's popping? I started watching... Futurama on Hulu where you're like wait Jess wasn't that canceled like a decade ago yes but in true (laughs) Futurama fashion it has come back again again which you know being Futurama they are already poking jokes on that yeah this is like the third time it's come back Um, and Futurama I think ended so beautifully Mm -hmm. and it's second reboot Um, but you know this is kind of the pro of being an animated show where it doesn't matter how long, but because it's it's voice talent and it's, you know, animation, you can kind of get the crew back together at any point and not have to think too hard about like, you know, like how the actors look or, you know, even if like, <laughs> like if someone in that interim was, was uncovered to be like a shady person, you can just recast their voice. It's fine. No one's going to mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. 
But, um, you know, it, it is one of my favorite shows. It's one of my comfort rotation show watches. And uh, so far from what I've seen, it's still great. It's still very Futurama in its tone. You know, the perfect mix of really stupid and really smart, um, which is what I like in my comedies. And they are um, tackling some more recent issues like Bitcoin. There is a Bitcoin <laughs> Um, rush out in the West in Silicon Valley. So they go out there and it's like a Western parody. Um, so, you know, Futurama just doing what they do. It's really fun. It's a weekly release on Hulu, mm. which is also really fun throwback to like, yes, I, I cannot binge this and I get to kind of live with this in my life. I believe, I believe that are doing 20 episodes this season. Um, and there's already there's really fun callbacks like Kiff and Amy's babies that they mm -hmm. had and like are, are finally of age. So, you know, they come back into the picture. Uh, so, yeah, I'm having a really good time. I'm excited to see what the other uh, episodes are going to bring. And I hope I'm able to add like I don't know if you people know this about I don't know if you guys even know this about me, but like like Futurama is in my like daily lexicon. I'm mm -hmm. and it's not even like the normal things. Like, you know, I think there's things have been mean, like, mm -hmm. you know, the fry squinty eyed and like, you know, Bender has a lot of fun things, but like I say really random shit. Like, is there a Mrs. Queeque? <laughs> yes. Uh, which I don't know if you know what that reference is. Um, one of the best episodes with the brains. Yeah, like I, I say really, really random shit from the original run of Futurama. So I'm hoping I get more really random shit to add to my arsenal. I don't know how this hasn't come up because I love Futurama. So I so love I, it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, maybe because I usually use it in like a romantic context. So I always go to Raymond <laughs> and I'm always like, when he does something like nice. I'm like, ooh, like, you know, I was like, when he's looking good, I'm like, ooh, is there a Mrs. Quee <laughs> And he had not watched it. So I had to sit him down and like, mm -hmm. it, it's a nothing line. It's a throwaway nothing line. Um, mm -hmm. So don't expect like a big plot point. But like, I just need you to watch this so <laughs> that you understand what I'm talking about. Did you explain to him what a snoo snoo was? He has, I believe he, I think that's one of the more known episodes. Mm -hmm. um, I think he, for better or for worse, he really relates to Zap Brannigan. Like he really likes no. Zap Brannigan. <laughs> Um, I just think because he is like an OG Star Trek fan, and like, like I think, well, Zach Zap was, was like kind of just the satire of like William Shatner, right? IRL, right. right. I feel like he's a Zoidberg. No, <laughs> not that bad. But uh, I, I think love Zoidberg. I was like, I was like, he's yeah, but Zoidberg isn't a doctor. No, <laughs> he's no, no. Barely, he's barely. Yeah. Um. But I was like, oh, like that's maybe a costume idea. Maybe we could be like Kiff and Zap Brannigan. Oh my Halloween. gosh. Yes. And you can wear like a little velour skirt. I think that would yes. be so cute yes. on him. He just needs to wear some like good shorts underneath. Um or or not. I don't or think Zap not. wears shorts underneath. No. Nope. So we know he um, doesn't. And I could be like a sexy Kip. I'm trying you know? to, I'm trying to remember when I fell off. I think I fell off of Futurama about the same time I fell off of The Simpsons. Which was well before its revival, so I'm like pretty behind on the future. I feel like Futurama is still good, though. I do think Futurama overall <sighs> has kept its like quality over the years, even in its reboots. Um, there's, I, I, you know, kind of like the OG run is always going to be the best. Most TV shows of that 
you know, pre-streaming era really hits its stride in like, you know, 2000, in the third season. Third, fourth season is where like, yeah, really, really great. Um, but I mean, it's, yeah, it's held up. You know, all the, all the, all the fan favorites are back. Our, our fave Lauren Tom gets to voice Amy mm. Wong again. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying what I've seen thus far. Yeah. Yay. I will remember to check it out because I've, <laughs> I've been kind of like, oh, I have Hulu open. What should I watch? And I've just been watching Reservation Dogs, though. This isn't like an MCU thing where I need to watch that, that, second, that second revival. No, because on, this right? is, again, in that beautiful age of pre-streaming TV where all these episodes were made to be syndicated. So you do not have to watch anything and nothing in this show really kind of affects any other episode. I mean, you're going to get fun callbacks, but you're, you can definitely just watch it, you know, piecemeal. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's always my favorite part about Futurama is like, you just never know where you're going to end up. Like in the first act, they set up something so mundane. And then by the end, you're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, we're like talking <laughs> to slugs and something like insane has happened. And there's like a cameo by Beck. Um, yeah. What I remember about Futurama is it's like, Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not a very cynical show. Right? It's a very like fun and. It actually made me cry once. Half. Oh, they have some of the most yeah. devastating, emotionally devastating episodes. Mm-hmm. Right, the dog game of tones. Um, you know the whole Fry and Leela episodes were really mm-hmm. great. It is very sweet. Um, mm-hmm. but then you also get kind of like the future dystopia yes. element, which is fun. Santa. Like. Yeah, but it doesn't um, give you like it doesn't have those like nihilistic tendencies as like a uh, no, a no, Morgan, it's it's right? pretty no. hopeful and and uh, even when they do stuff like the climate change, um, some none like it hot. That episode's really great. Um, you know, it's just really funny at the end of the day, and mm-hmm. um, it's yeah, it's really great. I I still I would still recommend and again oh and, uh, and in the worms of Slurms Mackenzie party on wham wiggity wham wham wazzle. <laughs> Yes. I, I, I love the show because I think it stayed so strong, even though, like, let's say um, Simpsons, I just totally fell off on, you know, like I can't watch it now. It doesn't feel right. But uh, Futurama always, always brings it. So, yeah. Yay. Awesome. All right. Han, what's popping with you? All right. I'm here to talk about a little movie called Strays. Uh, I saw a screening last night. So by the time you listen to this, it will be in theaters. What is Strays, you may ask? It is a rated R comedy about talking dogs. Um, it is excellent. You definitely should see it. Um, the The lead voice of a little border, uh, hold on, let me see, border terrier is called, uh, is Will Ferrell, his his name is Reggie. Basically, his owner is um, Will Fort, a guy named Doug. Um, Doug is horrible. He just wants to sit in his house and, and smoke a bong all day. I'm not judging that, but he's also a bad dog owner. So I do judge that. <laughs> um, but um, so he keeps trying to, you know, like leave Reggie behind, throws a tennis ball, drives him out somewhere and then um, is always curses when he comes back. So anyway, at some point, Reggie um, gets permanently left behind and he comes upon these other strays um boston terrier uh voiced by jamie fox an australian shepherd voiced by isla fisher and um a great dane a therapy dog voiced by randall park 
And actually, oh. since I didn't realize who the voices were when I went in. I, I kind of just went in as blind as I could. And so the whole time I was like, why is this dog so funny? And I kept thinking it's kind of like there's a little bit of John Mulaney in there. But I was like, it's not John Mulaney. So obviously now you know it's Randall Park. You're going to like, how could you have missed it? Because he's so, you know, he's unique. He has a great delivery. Very funny. And his characters are very funny. So honestly, he was my favorite dog. Um, <laughs> without, without even knowing it was Randall Park the voice. So, um, but there's a lot of really great, I don't even know how to say this, dog humor. Because it is rated R, there's a lot of penis talk um it's very uh there's there's a lot of uh poop talk because they're dogs also um but also it's weirdly violent in ways that you would not expect and know the dogs don't get hurt okay great um, that's that was my next question yes, like as long yes. as the dogs are not harmed i'm down for whatever right. it is very much it, it does a really good job of saying like what bad dog owners are or even the ways that humans turn on dogs that they have adopted so i like that messaging um we do get to meet some other dogs eventually um but the what i like about it is it's super self-aware of the talking dog genre of films so there's some meta commentary in there um including uh there's a guest star i don't want to ruin it but like those cheesy movies called like a dog's purpose and marley and me and stuff Mm -hmm. like that if you have watched any of those or even familiar with them because i have not watched them then you there should be a few references in there that you will enjoy um it does get dark in the weirdest way possible which is very funny um i I, there were times where i was just sitting there like what is who is this movie for but i was like i guess it's for me because i'm laughing um just it's to give for you an all idea. the millennials who can't afford children and now have dogs instead. <laughs> yeah. And just to give you an idea of a little bit of the tone, um, the director is the one who did uh, Barb and Star Go to Vista del Mar, <laughs> oh <laughs> which totally different movies, but he definitely knows his comedy. He's also done t- a lot of TV um, uh, directing. So like Fresh Off the Boat um, and there was another Asian one. Um, but here's the other thing is it's written by Dan Perrault who did American Vandal, which if you're not familiar with that or need a refresher, it is the Netflix comedy series that's a mockumentary about true crime. And basically it's about a school where everyone's drawing dicks everywhere. Someone is drawing dicks. And so like the tagline is who drew the dicks. And so it's a whole true crime documentary about trying to figure out who drew the dicks on things. Um, So that kind of gives you an idea of the tone of this comedy. And that's why it's rated R. Um, but I highly I recommend wait. it. Yeah, for a really dumb but also strangely smart um time at the theaters and it's escapist. Good times. Dogs are cute. Um from what I hear, the I think it was the director ended up um adopting the lead dog. So there you <gasps> oh go. Oh my god, that's so cute. And they actually use dogs. I looked this yes. up because mm-hmm. I go on this like very intense tirade about like back in my day when America was great, we used real animals and we would train real animals yes. to star in these movies and like they had to go through like 300 pigs for babe because they kept like yes. outgrowing babe, which by the way directed by um George Miller of mm-hmm. Mad Max fame. Yes. He directed Babe. Great That's why movie. Babe was great. Yeah. Babe is so good. Um, and they're so fucking cute. And, you know, I grew up on like a whole like, you know, arsenal or like archive of like these like animal movies where they again, you had to train real animals to do it. So I'm glad we get to go back to that because, you know, CGI animals are weird. 
Yeah, you can tell I mean, they have uncanny valley for animals. Yeah, too. obviously the mouths are they do a little bit something. Yes. but yeah. but I will say I just saw a picture because it came in my um, email inbox. Um, why did I say the in- email inbox? But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I got an email from you know uh, the net, uh, the studio, and apparently there was like a red carpet where they brought the dogs to a uh, to a screening, and I was like, why was I invited to that screen? Oh my god! Like, yeah, it's with a bunch of dogs. Yeah, and it's the same dogs, right? It's the dogs from the movie. So it's it's like oh, it's like the stars. So I'm just like seeing it. I was like, oh, I really wish I was there. But yeah, it's very very cute and also very very uh, I don't know um, raunchy. <laughs> so both. Yeah, it can be both. I mean, I remember loving the. Um Incredible Journey movies as a kid. So mm-hmm. this is the adult version. It, I'm looking it, yeah, to it. it <laughs> yes, it, there is a little play on that because they do have a journey. Um, Those and, were and so the, stressful. Yeah. The journey is not just over terrain, but also in their hearts. So. Wow. <laughs> the real friends were the dogs we met along the way. And there is a friendship theme. There you go. Anyway, so Marvin, what's popping with you? All right. So... um since I've been um, stuck in my room for the last couple of days because of the COVID, um, I've been catching up on my anime backlog on Crunchyroll. And this past week, I've been watching Kaguya-sama Love is War, um, The First Kiss That Never Ends, which is the um, OVA televised version of the Kaguya-sama film that came out um, last year. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, Kaguya-sama Love is War is a rom-com anime um, originally created by the uh, manga writer Aka Akasaka. That takes place in an elite um, private mm-hmm. Japanese high school. And the two main leads are the president and vice president of its student council. Um, the male lead is a poor boy who tested into this elite high school and made his way to the top of the class and to the student council presidency through his extreme work ethic and perseverance. And the main female lead is the scion of a, a multinational conglomerate who grew up as, you know, a noble or fine lady with all the expectations of like an old money family placed on her. And so both of these characters um, are in love with each other, but because of their pride refuses to be the one to confess first. So the show follows their Machiavellian schemes as they try to get the other person to um, admit their feelings. Um, It's a spin on the typical rom-com setup, um, except in this version, both of the leads are the cold, aloof, intelligent type that can't be honest with their feelings and it results in a lot of really fun hijinks the anime does a really good job animating their battle of wits um, there's a really great supporting cast that adds a lot of flavor and this sounds really cute like i would i would enjoy this the fact that they're both kind of cold and can't you know, express emotions <laughs> yeah this show's definitely been one of my favorite animes over the past couple years and so the third season last year ended with a um milestone event for the show where we finally got a grand confession and a kiss not to like spoil it for Ooh. people, but um, when it comes to romance, that's not a spoiler. Yeah, so. I mean, the show <laughs> yes. is definitely about yes. the journey, about and the cute yes, moments. Exactly. Um, it is a rom com, mm-hmm. so you know, um, you know, and then so the movie is about the aftermath of that kiss and them overthinking it because their first kiss was a really intense French kiss. Oh, and so now they're like, so now they're wondering, was it lust? Was it love? And now because they're overthinking it, there's all this drama. And it's just, you know, a lot of the enjoyment is watching them overthink things because they're teens um, who can't, like, you know, think things through properly. This is this is a shocker. It's something, like, I would have recommended. What did you do Yeah, with are you okay? I was, like, <laughs> literally waiting for, like, the, like, oh, but now they have to fight each other in a robot <laughs> war and kill each other. You know, 
not that far away from from stuff that happens in this show. There's what? definitely oh, God damn it. Okay. okay, no, I that mean, it, there's no. It's not like. It's not like as Marvin dire as you think to, it is. It's basically Marvin, everything. Marvin trying to defend his war lust ways. <laughs> no, it's it's a really wholesome <laughs> show. There's no there's no war. There's no existential crisis. I mean, the exis- the existential crisis for the show comes in the form of like these are kids who are um, meant to be the elite of society, and you know, but all they want to do is just have fun and maybe kiss the boy or girl that they like. <laughs> So it's it's actually a really good feel good show, and the reason I brought up you know the illusions is because there's a lot of really great animation in this show. It does the thing that I really like in a lot of anime shows, which is like making kind of mundane things feel awesome. So there are scenes where you know the characters are talking to each other and having like a battle of wits, and all of a sudden they're in the middle of like a shonen battle fight because that's how it seems in their minds. And because the defining characteristic of these characters is that they overthink, like every single move is kind of like the highest stakes, even though it's like picking a place to go for vacation perfectly safe for you to watch is all i'll say all right it's a really funny and really wholesome show so i I think it's something that you both will really like actually as soon as i get Crunchyroll. so yeah with that that's what's popping for this week when we come back we're taking a trip to taipei uh, to find some love in taipei stick around host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lunyang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're talking about the new Asian-American rom-com, Love in Taipei, um, directed by Arvin Chen, based on the 2020 novel Love Boat Taipei um, by Abigail Hing Wen. The film stars Ashley Lau as Ever Wong, a Taiwanese-American pre-med student who grew up in Ohio, who gets sent by her parents to Taiwan for the summer to attend a culturally immersive study program as a way to get more in touch with her Taiwanese roots. 
There she meets a group of peers, golden boy Rick Wu, um, who is played by Ross Butler, his cousin, the outgoing Sophie Ha, played by Chelsea Zhang, and the too cool for school Xavier Ye, played by Nico Haraga. Um, and they inform her that this study tour that she got sent on by her parents is known more colloquially as Love Boat, and is actually known as a place for young people to let loose and experience Taiwan in all its um debaucherous glory and it is through this experience that um, ever goes through a coming of age story um, coming to terms with mm-hmm. her inner desire to be a dancer as opposed to a doctor um, and as well as find love in the process while exploring Taiwan so as always we'll start off with a spoiler free discussion of Love Boat Taipei before going to a more spoiler discussion in our spoiler zone after the credits um, but to start us off what do we all think of Love in Taipei Oh, um, <laughs> we will yeah! delve into this a little bit more. We'll delve into this a little bit more. And, uh, but having read the book, the book was completely charming, uh, culturally specific, all the good things. Um, typical rom com, of course. Um, I felt like this just felt really weirdly watered down. Like, all the cultural things, all the love boat things that I really was looking forward to seeing, like the classes they took and even more of her dance, just all those specific things just weren't really there. They were kind of more in the background. Um, so that's why it felt very generic to me. Um, and we can go over spoilers later. But yeah, I was just kind of like, it's cute. But maybe in order for them to have done more with the things I wanted, it should have been a, like a limited series because it felt like everything was rushed and everything just kind of like, I, I felt like, did I fall asleep at one moment? Cause I was like, this doesn't make sense. Cause they had to like fast forward through some sort of character development, which was nil anyway. So that was like overall cute. I watched it with my cousin. She thought it was very cute. She asked for re- more recommendations after that of, of similar nature. So maybe it's just me cause I read the book, but anyway. Yeah. So That's I that. have not read the book. <laughs> But for someone who not read the book, um, I was kind of like, oh, this is fine. Like, it's fine. Like, I yeah. I, <laughs> I wasn't offended. Um, I thought that there, you know, there were some pros. And but I felt like it was like a Disney Channel original movie. Um, and those and are I, cute. <laughs> and, and some of those are really good. But yeah. I feel like this was a very, like, mid-level mm-hmm. effort. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's the performance i think i think it's rooted deeper in like the choice some of the choices and adaptations some of the script and and again what they chose to include and not include and what they chose to some 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 things about the casting we'll talk about that um but it was very like i was like i'm not feeling that like spark because in the end of the day all rom-coms are the same. It's like very formulaic. That's why we like them. They're comforting. Um, you know, you're setting up a love triangle. It's, it's, it's teen. This is like all up my alley. And it just was just kind of like, okay. Um, in many things. Um, and yeah, I just felt like it was missing that like, Je ne sais, I don't know what you say yeah. in Mandarin, like what it is, but the <laughs> je ne sais quoi of it. Um, well, it was which, missing a lot of that too. The Mandarin, like we heard it. Oh, beginning. we can talk about that later. Yes, yes. Let's please talk about that. Okay, so <laughs> Marvin. Yeah, I mean, as someone who, so I was pretty like mixed on the film too. Um, on one hand, as a rom com, 
it was fine, right? It's it does its job. It sets up like it's you know it's a low stakes rom com. There's not really a lot of drama, which mm-hmm. is another thing we can probably talk about mm-hmm. um, because um, for those of us who know what Love Boat is, it did seem like it was missing some of that what? like yeah. drama. Um, on the other hand, as someone who did read and enjoy the book, it did feel very lacking as an adaptation, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. very faithful. It pretty much omitted like half of the plot points. So as someone who was expecting like to watch a book that I enjoyed be adapted, it was a little disappointing. And I just felt like it needed more Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, I mean, it's in the title. Even if you took the love boat out of it, which also mistake. Yeah. It I mean, says Taipei. Well, I get that they probably, I think they filmed this during lockdown, right? Like mm-hmm. it's production probably wasn't the most ideal, but you can definitely tell, like at least as someone who is familiar with specifically Taipei, like some of these locations just looked off, like especially the night market scenes and when they went out oh. and it just, it didn't feel like. The, it's they very sanitized, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which like is a, like, love like Taiwan, fucking clean, love Taiwan great entry point into like Asia travel if you're like a little mm-hmm. nervous very clean everyone nice well signed safe mm-hmm. delicious food but yeah it is missing kind of that like placeness you need mm-hmm. if you are going to build a whole story or I mean part of this which isn't necessarily a ding because I think like Crazy Rich Asia, like a lot of play, a lot of rom-coms do this and it's part of the charm the location but like if you're gonna like kind of set it on a location or anchor it on like the locale of a place like then you gotta bring the locale right like if you're setting in the scottish highlands like we better see some fucking scottish highlands mm-hmm. i gotta yeah. feel those moors and yeah right you need and then you need like a red-headed man in a kilt to come out and like yeah. save you from something <laughs> yeah big I fan of maid of honor by the way Yes, exactly. And and it was just kind of missing some of that, like, groundedness in place. Yeah. Which I think could have, if they pulled that off, I think we could have forgiven a lot of the other... <sighs> I yeah. Know. I mean, I feel like, so... It was missing all of it. Love both the program. <laughs> it's Chintan, which they also renamed it to, like, Huwei here in, in yeah. this series. And I think Why? part of that is, like, I want to say, I don't know that the background, but it felt like the actual program did not give them... The rights to use, like I mean, probably name, probably. not. They probably don't want to. <laughs> they can yeah. rename it, but they can still get the vibe because that's what I was missing. Yeah. Is I love. I don't want to say I love school projects, but kind of like the fact that that you're around all these people of the same age, all of them full of hormones, but you're also supposed to sort of be studying, but also like you're going out. I didn't get that sort of vibe from it much, you know? Yeah, and. And so the original program, it's supposed to take place in two campuses, one in Taipei and one in, like, I think Mm. the south. And a big part of the program is traveling all around Taiwan, like Mm. through the the east side, which is a lot of mountains. Yeah, the Toroku Gorge, like, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of beautiful scenery in Taiwan that this um, program exposes students to, to instill, like, pride in their, you know, Taiwanese heritage. And all that stuff is kind of missing in addition to the summer camp nature of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's no way these kids would have time to climb up the Elephant Mountain or go to the beach during the day mm-hmm. because they should be in classes. Yeah. Um, um, we only glimpsed a couple classes, but it was in, like, a montage. And I just felt like I wanted to kind of get more of that cultural knowledge that they were trying to learn 
and also how they were failing to learn it, you know, that type of thing. It's just because that's the whole point is like, that's part of your, I guess, identity journey is to go there and do well or not, you know? <laughs> and that I felt like that was important for her because when it came to her embracing of the things she loved, which is dance, that, you know, part of the, I, I think I remember this in the novel, part of getting in touch with her culture helps unlock that sort of like bridges that together for her. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. so <laughs> I guess we should start off with like things that this film did well before right. we get into all of our, okay. yes, all of yes, our yes. criticisms, because, you know, what the film did do well is it was like independent of its identity as like an adaptation. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty competent rom-com, right? It, it looked good. You know, the characters are all fun, um, mm-hmm. If you have no context of their characters from the book, they're all pretty likable. You know, yeah. the, the added character, like the character they added for this adaptation, Auntie Shu, was great. I really love yes. that they included like the art community of Taiwan because that is a big part of Taiwan's identity is kind of this independent art community. Yeah. And yeah, it also I, showed that not all adults are evil. So. <laughs> yes. Not all adults are evil. I think also they cast fairly well. I think everyone in this, all the young people are like very bright and shiny and talented and like very pretty like mm-hmm. Ashley Liao has a very beautiful expressive face she's so delicate looking I'm just like girl like you look like you look like a, you look like a like an action figure you look like my Mulan doll yes. that I had I was yes. just like and like Kelsey Zhang is like gorgeous I think Nico is like charm I, bomb I adore him yeah I love Nico Haraga and like you know Ross Butler you know I do think he was miscast but like I don't think it's his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think like generally like the main cast was like really like they they brought what they could to the script and the story. And and I do really think Ashley Liao and Nico Haraga have really great chemistry, which mm-hmm. is why, you know, we'll talk more about spoilers later. But like I was just like, I'm like, I like I'm like, I'm liking this. <laughs> I like this. Um, this is very effective. Um and I do think, you know, some of the scenes were, there were some really funny moments. Like, the, the, some of the culturally specific jokes were really well done. Um, and I don't know if that's in the book, but, like, I like the fact that his name is Mr. World Journal. Yes. Um, yeah. Which, that, w- that was. Like, that's a very, like, oh, yeah, big deal if you're in the Chinese paper. I had no um, idea. <laughs> and he's, like, good at everything, you know. Yeah. He can he can fold the dumplings perfectly, too. Like, that's big props. Yeah. Yeah, World Journal. It's it's like um, any other like ethnic mm-hmm. newspaper. It's unless your work appears in there, you will never get your parents' acceptance. Yes, yes. yes. But you once you do, because then they can once they get that World Journal article, they can flex to their friends. That's what's important. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's I what thought their that, friends will think. Yeah, so that was a big part of the novel, which I liked that they carried over that he was this wonder boy, boy wonder. <laughs> yeah, because like. I've we seen all know those articles like that. Yeah. where it's like, hey, this guy got into all these IVs, is like the captain of the football team, and right? And it's like mm-hmm. it's like what was that one guy, the the Korean guy who's like an astronaut, a doctor, and like Dr. A Johnny Kim sniper yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it was mainly the casting that I enjoyed. Um, I think there was some good chemistry. Um, there were some very cute moments. Just, uh, you know, not enough of them. <laughs> it's not enough for a rom-com if you're going to, yeah, like, build yeah. it off. And, and so yeah, and can we talk also, like, 
I also can't have this realization. This is my hot take. I think we've actually been spoiled by a plethora of good adaptations in the last five years. Mm-hmm. I think from, you know, Crazy Rich Asians 2018, we, from that, that came out in 2018, the same month that To All the Boys, the first movie came the out. first one was so good. So I think we got this like dual, like, okay, we're going to try to do the Crazy Rich Asian things and we're going to do the To All the Love, To All the Boys I Love Before thing. This kind of is, I'm sure Abigail went, ha- like she, based it off her own like experience mm-hmm. with like love boat right and like that's kind of where it stems from but you know and i think it got published in reaction to both of those things and i think we're just kind of seeing like the downstream like mid yeah mid effort version of some mm-hmm. of those and it's just like oh to all the boys we love before especially that first movie and lana connor is like mm-hmm. was amazing and was yeah. like pretty singular because lana con con Door door is pretty singular mm-hmm. so it's like oh this is just like we're we're putting it so i'm just like oh like we've just been really spoiled by yeah some really good teen adaptations lately yeah and i mean i feel like there should be room for films in that mid-tier because right. like that's how you get more projects made um it's just for me personally like you know crazy Stations and to all the boys were two adaptations that like in my mind, improve the original source. I haven't mm-hmm. read to all the boys, but I have read Crazy Rich Asians and the film it is did. way superior. Um, yes, agreed. And so this being a book that I've actually read for once, like it was a little disappointing for me to see that it didn't do that transcending the source material thing that yeah. I yeah. wished it would have done. And, and it I- tried to do a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It tried yeah. to do a lot and yet not enough for certain things. It was kind of like there were a few things where I was like, we could have just cut this out. Um, so it was just inconsistently balanced, I think. Um, they didn't know where to lean in on things and where to like pull back on some stuff. It was yeah. just that's why I kept saying limited series. They could have done a lot more with the things I wanted. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing I feel like is if it's like you said, Jess, this film was made in reaction to to all the boys, that was the mistake because Love Will Taipei um isn't a story about like awkward first love and longing it's a story about kids being free to explore wild, young adulthood yeah. like kind of letting loose and like yeah. going a little wild it, it's it's like first of all it's summer camp right so we don't even get that summer camp vibe and then it's a summer camp where they're literally trying to make sure that your kids are getting hooking up well maybe not hooking up but like <laughs> you know finding I their mean, future partners they're and not then, making but, sure that's kind of like the that's yeah. the hidden subtext it, of it i mean it's known the that love there's boat, a lot of hookups yeah love boat yeah. is a real thing it's a real program that runs mm-hmm. during the summer and you know at some point in the early 2000s it was known to be like a place where Basically, my brother went. I didn't go, but my brother went and my cousin went. And I still have heard stories. And it's basically every night you sneak out past curfew and you go to the clubs. And because the drinking age in Taiwan is 18, you party your your butts off. And then people get drunk, people get hooked up. And there's a lot of just like debauchery. And a lot of the drama from the original story came from like those nights. And it just yeah. it should have been kind of more like cw teen messy yeah it's like it's like when you first go to college and you have no parents around but you're also in a foreign country like on top of it that you should be they should be wilding out in this in this movie (laughs) and you don't really get that impression yeah i mean that first night they all go out it felt so tame because like in the book i'm pretty sure they were doing like like snake blood shots right or something yeah oh (laughs) it was 
I was just like, oh, this is why you do it when you're young, because then you can like destroy your liver and do all of that stuff. Yeah. So. And these kids like in real life, I mean, they they said it in a contemporary like this is supposed to be happening now. Right. Mm -hmm. And they and I mean, these kids would be like these kids would be doing cocaine and like popping pills. <laughs> like, let's be real. Like in Taiwan, which is like very illegal. In like the they, very they least would be. I yeah. Mean, yeah. <laughs> like they would be getting butt drunk wild um, and and you know, making poor decisions as you do in your early 20s. Yeah. So once I came to terms that like this film was not going to be the adaptation mm -hmm. of Lovable Taipei that I imagined I would be getting, you know, it became a little easier to stomach the rest of the film. And, you know, the rest of the film was kind of a by the numbers coming of age um, rom-com, but I had to throw it to you experts. Did the romance work for you in this film? The romance triangle was not well executed because you have to have two viable candidates. Yeah. And this is where I'm going to talk about it. Ross Butler was so miscast. This man looks Very. like a fucking 30-year-old, which he is. Yes, he's 33. He's a 33-year-old playing around with this, like these children. And like Ashley Liao is already, like we talked about, she's beautiful and she's tiny. She looks young. I think she's in her early 20s. Nico Haraga is in his like early mid-20s, probably yeah. early 20s when he shot this, mm -hmm. but has like successfully played high school. Like he he gives like a younger energy and they styled him really well. Nico yeah. Haraga was the only person who looked like he was dressing like a 22-year-old would dress today. Right, right. That's another right. weird thing I have. Like, I get really pissed off with the clothes and, like, the styling because I grew up in, like, predominantly Asian. Mm -hmm. Like, like the styling is so bad. Like, when people it's try weird. to find, like, the wardrobe, like, and none of these have gotten it right. I think, like, to all the boys is pretty good. The first movie was pretty mm -hmm. good because they set it up as, like, character yes. for her yes and that was well done but like crazy rich asians has terrible clothing oh yeah um yeah. and everyone's like the dress is like no her dress is terrible and so out of character but like whatever i'm, I'm not it's on the smithsonian i'm not gonna <laughs> you know what do what do i know i agree though jess <laughs> right and like i'm just like oh like and i understand you're trying to be like taiwan and it's really funny because taiwan used to be taipei and taiwanese pop culture used to be the epicenter of um Asian, like Asian yeah. pop culture. Like when I was in my mid-teens, like Jay Chow, Lee Home, Jolin Sai, like these were the big exports coming out. Like Taiwanese pop culture back then is today's Korean culture. Yes, mm -hmm. but like now it's Korean. No, I mean, it's not though, because Korean culture is so much more like mainstream, but like they would also be listening to K-pop. So there was also some like just mm -hmm. artistic choices about like the age. And like making this world of that I'm supposed to believe is like people in their 20s, like Asian, Asian American communities in their 20s, like partying together. I was like, no, yeah. you guys all dress like you're in your 40s. I do not understand. I mean, and that's the thing, too, because in the book, all these kids are 18. Like they're out yeah. of high school on the way to college. Like this is supposed to be her like graduation gift from her parents. And the, the character arcs in this film make much more sense if they were still 18. Yeah. Because they're and, being and, a little dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, did they just age it up because we knew 
that Ross Butler would never be 18, but they're like, maybe we can pretend he's 20 something. Still too old. I was like, that's a good question. I wonder if he was like the star casting they needed to get this movie produced and then they had to build it around him. And that is such a shame because like I have nothing against Ross Butler, but inappropriate for this role. He just so creepy, right? Yeah. It comes off so creepy. He's like, why are you this like big, tall, (laughs) old? And I'm like, 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 I'm not even talking about like, what his character is or isn't but like yeah, you know no. those biracial genes are kicking in he's just like way <laughs> taller and way like he looks 33 like he's not someone who can yeah. play he's not Paxton not Paul Yoshida Riverdale. yeah like this man looks 33 like you got you mm-hmm. cannot put him next to like yeah 20 year old Ashley Liao and be like this is a viable combination yeah. Especially when I do think Ashley Liao and Nico Haraga have really cute scenes. Yeah, they kind of match in their in they, their they energy, are, their yeah. like artsy vibes. Like their a- and, their ages are close enough together that it feels right. So. And I feel like the setup of like what these two boy options represent for her, like it's just like it's there was no tension of like who mm-hmm. she should pick because I'm just like it's so obvious like where this needs to go if you like you know care at all about your characters or like the themes of belonging and which path to choose like it's so <laughs> obvious from the beginning where this is going so i was just like oh like you're you're really not setting that triangle up well enough if that's going to be the main one of the main tensions in your rom-com mm-hmm. yeah and yeah just creepy looking at like you know <laughs> six foot whatever ross butler just like and Ross is lovely. He's very handsome. It's just like, it's such a miscast. He needs to be in an adult rom-coms by now. Like, or he you know does. what I mean? Adult, adult. Oh my God. Uh, yes. No, agreed. Like, why isn't he just playing opposite? Like, honestly, I feel like if you put Ross Butler in, in where everything that Simu Liu was in, it would be a much better movie. Like, if he was the love interest <laughs> yes. opposite Philippa Sue in that, like, memory Barbie loss, movie. my fiance's dead. Oh my God. If he was the Ken and Barbie, that yeah. would have been great. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, how much of that is just the industry not knowing what to do with Asian faces? That's it. What- That's it. <laughs> it's like it's like technically in their heads, they're like, "Well, Asian don't raisin, so he can play twenty something." And I'm like, "No, he looks no, thirty three. Or it's just like no. they don't have like they don't have that Rolodex. So I think, oh, teen yeah. rom com, Ross Butler, let's get him. Like, have we or used like, him for the last four years? Reggie Melton, right? It's like uh, it's one or the other. Char- and I'm just Melton. like, no, Reg- yeah. Reggie Melton. Charles, Charles Melton also looks like. Yeah, you know, he played Reggie on Riverdale. Sorry, you know they're all like same. But I agree. I yeah, can yeah. say that they can, can just that. they can just hire us. Hello, it's you know you know back when I was doing this, like I always had a rolodex of like hot up and coming, like very handsome boys you could cast, and they're always like, no, we're gonna go for one of the ones we know. And also, I'm like, well, yeah. so miscast. So and if, if you were to needed- cast like the Road Journal Wonder Boy. Out of like who's available oh, yeah. right now, who would you go for? Please say, Jeff. <sighs> Let's see. I mean, it'd be, have to be someone in their early 20s or mid 20s. Mm-hmm. I've been out of the game now for like a year, y'all. You gotta give me a little time. You gotta give me this. <laughs> y'all let me prep this. Okay, while you think about that. Okay, I'm gonna think about this. I, I would say that if they needed a name, they could have cast another adult or another student who was a name and just kind of given them an extra little spice or fun, fun times, because I get it. I understand why you need a name to get a project going. But um, 
Honestly, I think Nika Haraga's like he's been in a ton of things by now. Like maybe he's not a known name, but I I as soon as I there saw him is, on the poster, I was excited. But people love Nico Haraga. I Remember know. Booksmart, Booksmart came out, and there was like a uh, whole Moxie. like yeah, no, he's press great. Really, Moxie's super charming and Moxie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he the- he did great playing film Xavier. I just really wanted book Xavier. Yeah. Well, you know what? They could have. <laughs> yeah. It's no fault of his. It is the fault of the script. So he did a great job so far uh, with what he was given. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Book Xavier was, they only hinted at it at the very beginning of this movie, but he was like a playboy. He was known to get around and 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 yeah. for reasons, for reasons. And yeah. so I expected a lot more of him getting around without a shirt. Um, a lot more of that sort of like, <laughs> sort of like smooth yeah. operator sort of thing. I feel like we can we can dive more into this in our spoiler zone because there's so much I want to say about just yeah. the stuff that didn't make it on screen that I just really wish did. Um, but um, I think overall, and sorry to put you on the spot, Jess, you don't have to answer that question. I'm just like, I just realized because all everyone I know has now in the last five years aged out of that. Yeah. Mm. Like, I think any of the dudes, you know, we like in the in the in our typical rotation would have done well. I think Ross Butler would have been fine ish five years ago. It's just it's not five years yeah, ago. I can't think of anyone in the, is, is I mean, Dallas Lewis is going to be in the new Avatar. Would he oh, be have been? I do like him. How old is he? He might work. I think Dallas would have been great with that little like he also oh, it's also um how do I say this? Ross Butler, they, the way they styled him, which is might be fine as a character choice if it wasn't like a 34-year-old, um, he has millennial hair in this. <laughs> and again, nobody in their 20s would have his haircut. So he really <laughs> looks like someone's uncle. Huh. Yeah. Okay, here's... Sorry, I have an answer for you. Here's my inspired pick. You reunite... Ashley Liao and Jackson Getch, mm. the little boy who played the 15 year old version of Randall Park and Always Be My Maybe. Oh. Because oh. they were cute together in Always Be My Maybe. Um, and he has that like clean cut look. You know, you just dress up, you zhuzh him up a little bit. Yeah. Because I mean, you, I also like, for me, it's also like, I, I, I mean, this, no disrespect to the actors and the people who like were in the thing, but all disrespect to the creative team who made some of these choices. Mm-hmm. It does feel like this movie was made by a bunch of men. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They um, don't get what makes a rom-com work. Yeah. They think it's like, they think it's like, I get a feeling they think it's like a hot guy to be Rick Wu. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like he does not have to be super hot and tall. He just has to have like that leading man energy. Like, Billy Crystal is not attractive in any, like. But he's a leading man, right? But he's a leading man, and he's he's he a very you know people yeah. love when Harry met Sally, and they want Sally to get together with Harry at the end. I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't really matter how physically you attractive you are. Female gaze is not dependent solely on like the like physical appearance, and I feel like the casting was like, no, we just need to get the hottest guy. Yeah, I you know what. Here's another suggestion. If we style him differently, uh, Bloom Lee from Chan Ken Dunk. Oh, he's a cutie. Yeah. And he's like 28, maybe. So he's j- just in there, but also he played a high schooler. So we know he can play you know, youngish. That's true. I think he can go younger. Yeah. 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 Um, but they also have to be 
um, believable as a football player. Well, they could have just have you changed seen the sport. a football player? They could have just changed the sport. Because <laughs> my thing is just that he's a jock and he's a whatever and he's a whatever. So for me, you could have just changed him to like a swimmer, right? Or a, ten- or tennis, even player. a tennis player. Tennis. We're Asian. We yeah. like tennis and we like swimmers. You could yes. have made him a fucking badminton star. Yeah. It has no relevance to the plot. Like, right. Right. Mr. World Journal would be more impressive to the community if he was like a state ranked badminton or tennis player. Yeah. That's a sport we as a community respect. Yep. Chinese people don't know shit about football. (laughs) There are even better like Chinese people like there are more basketball players Mm -hmm. like there's a big Asian basketball community. You could have made them a basketball player. And if you're playing in like certain leagues, they don't have to be that tall. Again, make make it up. You're adapting (laughs) everything else. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there there could have been better casting choices um, if they weren't beholden to trying to pick a name that they knew um, for the Rick character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever even play for Harvard, right? Yeah, but you know, is that impressive? Yeah, just saying. <laughs> that was part um. of the board. When, when That's other, how we learned when, about him in the first place. Right, right. <laughs> right. Because it's like, oh, he's in Harvard and he plays basketball. And I'm like, yeah. And when's this other time you've ever heard about Harvard basketball? Yes. It's no one cares. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. Um, we have a little bit more to discuss, but we're going to save that for our spoiler zone. So before we get there, though, uh, we got to ask ourselves, uh, is Love in Taipei good pop? You know, even though I've just put this through the ringer, I think yes. I think we deserve like fun, frothy movies. I think it's still important to have like, you know, content for younger people. I think it really is aimed for more like, like teen middle school. Um, and I think, you know, if that's, it does feel like they like chose to like flatten some of the like debauchery to like make it more accessible to more people. I'm like, if that's the choice you make, I think that's fine. I do think we need that content. Personally, some of the storylines of like, you know, finding like f- following your passion, saying this as a theater kid who's like a husband chronically underemployed or unemployed, like that storyline's a little played out for me. But, you know, there may be someone who needs to hear it. And if that's, you know, if it's this, it's cute. It's not offensive. Really great talent. I'm like, sure. Why not? Um, it should have been on Netflix, though, because I feel like no one's going to watch it on Paramount+. Yeah, Plus. yeah. This is a perfectly fine streaming rom-com. And I think, of course, the reason why we're a little bit hard on it, besides knowing some the source, source material, is because there we still are waiting for these things to come out. If there were five of them, then we wouldn't have that big of a <laughs> of a beef with it, I think. We would have just been like, yeah, watch all of these fun rom-coms that are not, you know, A, but there's... there's decent B, B minus maybe. <laughs> so um, I, the recommendation, you know, was I watched it with my cousin and it's immediately afterwards. She's like, this was so cute. What other things can you recommend that are like this? So yeah, I think it is a perfectly decent rom-com that actually left me wanting more from the storytelling, but also just because it did scratch a little bit of that itch. So. Do you think that... Um. Oh, there goes my brain cell. <laughs> Sorry, go, Marvin. Yeah, I also thought, like, objectively speaking, as a film on a streaming service that you can show people, it was a good film. It 
did what it needed to do. It was, you know, do, do I wish it was more like the book? Yes. yes. But that's me as the book fan speaking and being disappointed. But in terms of like a, a film, it's it's fine. Like, I think I agree with Jess and Hans. It's not like the best rom-com we've ever seen. But for a film um, based on a source material written by Asian Americans about Asian Americans in Taiwan, a place that doesn't really get a lot of mm-hmm. representation in film. I think it did its job well. I wish there was more of it, but I did spend half the film doing the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of like pointing at the screens, like I know that place. I've been there. <laughs> like in Taiwan. Yeah. Fancy. <laughs> I may or may not have to just pause the screen and say, "Do I recognize the street?" Can I ask Marvin, how come you did not do Love Boat? Mm -hmm. Did you not want to? (laughs) That that is the complicated answer, which is I did not feel like I needed it. He was was slaying in. He was slaying in. He was throwing bitches left and right off. Hooking up. But the fact that like... (laughs) People who come back from Love Boat come back with like a renewed like zealousness of like being Taiwanese. Being Taiwanese. And mm. when I was that age, I didn't really have like a disconnect with my Taiwanese identity, right? Like I already loved Taiwan. I would go all the time. I already knew how to explore. Oh, that's true. Cause you would like visit family in Taiwan too, yeah. right? So it wasn't like the first and or only time you would go. Yeah. And you know, I lived there for a year and when I was three. Like, you know, I have my, my roots there are pretty, I think, pretty strong. Whereas say like my brother, on the other hand, kind of grew up more like I'm American, right? And so he got totally evangelized by the program and came back super like, into J. Chow, super into Taiwanese oh. culture. Super <laughs> J. Into, like, Chow is the gateway drug, right? baby. <laughs> I'm not funny. the only one. But you didn't want to just go for like the love boat part? I honestly, I was spending my summers doing summer classes. <laughs> like real summer school? Yeah. I had other things to do during the summer. So um, yeah, it's... Do I regret not doing it? Maybe a little. Like, it would have been fun to, like, have this, like, formative experience that a lot of other people have. But on the other hand, I don't feel like I missed out on anything because I can still go to Taiwan and go to the bars and nightclubs. And now that I have my own money, I don't need to, like, you know. And a wife. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I myself am not a love boater, but I knew plenty of people who were. And they all say they had a lot of fun. So, you know, nothing wrong with a, you know, month of debauchery with um, peers with no adult supervision. Yeah, Damn, I wish I could have done it. Could you have gone if you were not Taiwanese? Like, how would they know? Um, apparently, in the year after my brothers, they let a white guy in. What? That's weird. Because he wrote a letter saying that he feels more culturally Taiwanese than oh, he does no. white. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. no. See, I wish they had this <laughs> no. program for like for any other yeah i think at some point it got to the point where where a lot of these programs do which is like they just need to bring in people Mm -hmm. for the bottom line (laughs) yeah but that's kind of gross but anyway whatever (laughs) yeah yeah i wish such a program was available for me when i was younger that would have been fun all right well on that note that'll do it for our regular discussion of love in taipei um stick around for our spoiler zone but before we get there um jess han People want to find out what your thoughts. Can they go anywhere? Where can they go now? Um, I guess I'm still on X. I'm not. I'm just kind of watching the ship sink. So again, still, still no landing space. Um, so wait another week. Yeah, I am squatting. Um, on X with that's a good term with 
Anonymous, but if you do follow me on Instagram, start anonymous, uh, you will have seen all of my wedding pictures and foods that I had eaten over the past. So at least I'm putting stuff in my stories. I don't know what else I'm putting there. Um, stay tuned. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Marvin yeah, yeah. and Instagram as well. Um, I am still. I'm not. I don't. You can call I'm it Twitter.com. Hold, I'm still holding out hope <laughs> that it will revert. After this nightmare is over, we'll see. Um, you can also find our show at goodpop.club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our Love in Taipei Spoiler Zone. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. All right, welcome to our Good Pop Spoiler Zone for Love in Taipei. Um, for the next few minutes, we'll be giving our all spoilers thoughts on the film. Um, I guess to start off, the biggest spoiler is were you guys? Well, I don't know about you, Jess, because you haven't read the book. But um, no, I knew that she technically and she's she ends up with Rick in the book. Yeah, she does. Han, what are your thoughts of the switcheroo <laughs> for the end game? Well, okay, a few thoughts was while I was watching it, I was like, oh, I can't spoil my cousin on this because I assumed it was going to follow the book and she would end up with Rick. But um, uh, every time um, Xavier came on screen, my cousin would laugh and I'm like, yeah, he's charming. I really like him. He's and then uh, so we were talking a little bit and she was actually team Rick. I don't know. I'm very confused about that. <laughs> but, but I was always team Xavier or at least the one I saw on the screen was better than Rick for me. So I was like, oh, I, I like Xavier. Just full well thinking that she wouldn't end up with him. So I was actually somewhat surprised because one of the things they did was, you know, they did have her dating Rick, right? And then... And then he pieces out halfway through the film. So yeah, same with, 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 with Sophie. All of a sudden, she's just not... She's dating someone else and she's not with Xavier. It's kind of like randomly... They just decided to fast forward and have no character development. Just suddenly they're like not with each other. And I was just like, wait, that's where I thought I fell asleep. Like, did I miss something here? But no. Um, so that was weird. And when they ended up together, I kept thinking, is there another 30 minutes where she's going <laughs> to like just break up with him and get back together with Rick? It was very, very odd. They did spend like a good two thirds of the film setting up Rick as like the yeah. end game. Like, the- or at least the main, like they... So one thing that the film doesn't do that the book does well is set up that triangle, right? Like Rick and Xavier are at each other's throats throughout the book because Xavier has a reputation of being a playboy Mm -hmm. and Rick is trying to protect Ever and Sophie from him. Yeah, his Sophie is his sister, who we don't actually really see that relationship that much in the film. Um, But the other thing is that um, 
in a way, I think they just knew. So this does happen in the book, which is Xavier does draw um, her. And and we we find out later on that that's him. So he's secret admiring her and stuff like that. And so in the book, it's a little weird because he's clearly dating Sophie. Yeah. And in the and, book, in the, it's a double triangle because. Yeah, it's like a quadrangle, but not quite. But yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's too much yeah. math. It's two too triangles. Math. Xavier and Rick are both into ever. Um. And then Sophie. And then, but then Sophie is. And ever. Sophie kinda, and Xavier have paired up. They're hooking up. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but he's still like has eyes for her. So I understand in a little bit why they kind of want to downplay that in the movie because then it's like cheating. And then why, why is this guy with a huge crush on So much more juicy. And no, exactly. Eskimo friends. Right. So, so then all of a sudden it's just like, Everything else drops away, and it just makes room for him. It was so yeah. You got to clear like the the seas part, and now there's like a clear yeah. clear path to Xavier. And, and the other thing is this, which I will point out is because they made Ever and Xavier get together. That me- that puts the kibosh on the sequel because the book sequel is Sophie and Xavier, and it's not like Sophie and Rick are getting together. <laughs> In the next movie, because that's yeah. incest. So, but they also, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, it's very weird. Very I don't weird. know if a second film is going to show up because I don't think so. There's no, there are no threads, right? Because Sophie and Xavier were the original like threads for the sequel because they have unresolved issues, right? And mm-hmm. they really like. I was disappointed because I feel like Sophie's arc was one of my like. It's not my favorite, but I liked it from the book, which is she's um she represents someone who is like ever someone who has like parental expectations placed on her. But her expectation isn't like you have to be a doctor. It's you have to marry a rich person to yeah. like further the family interests. All like of- you are. And that's why she's going after Xavier, because he's the scion of like a Japanese multinational company. Yeah. All of their arcs were actually super well done in the books. And and because I always like I initially went into each of them thinking, ah, I'm not going to like you. And even though I still like Rick the least, I at least <laughs> understood, you know, because it was well written. Um, whereas here, I just felt like all of these arcs were just kind of like half-assed and I, and, or just, yeah, exactly. Like we didn't really get much of an arc for the rest of them. It's kind of like, bye, I'm waving at you from across the sea. You know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't it, get it. It feels like instead of having like a very like, like we didn't have like four characters going through their own shit. We had like ever going through a frankly very basic Asian American mm-hmm. coming of age storyline, which you know there's not enough of those. Don't get me wrong. Like it, I'm glad that this exists, but no, there's enough of those. <laughs> yeah, no, it's enough, and that's why all the other characters were important to kind of offset that kind of cliched, you know, yeah. story. But it, literally, like as you're talking about this, what you're describing is a perfect television show. Yeah. Like one central character with other characters that bring out that dimensionality yeah. and you can draw like plot and development, mm-hmm. character development over that. So yeah, maybe this should have been a, a limited, limited series. Limited series. Would have been so cute, I think. Like it didn't need to be long, six to eight. That's what the British yeah. do. And like I, I, I mentioned that I really like the Auntie Shu character who is oh, I think, yeah. original in this film. She but, could have had a bottleneck about her youth, mm-hmm. like living it up in Taipei well, well, or America. That, or I'm something. more upset about the storyline she replaced, which mm, is yeah. delving into the indigenous community of Taiwan. 
And in the original book, um, Everest strikes up a friendship with one of the counselors who is part of an indigenous Taiwanese group. And the um, the climactic culture show at the end of the movie to save Auntie Shu's, you know, art gallery in the book is actually a um, culture show she puts together to save a community center for that indigenous group. Yeah, but like mm-hmm. that, I feel like that would have been like shoehorning one more like blip. <laughs> Like that would have been rude to like just put that as like a background in but this like other well, like already crammed movie. Well, that's why we needed a limited series. Yeah, yes, it's, limited series. It would have been like it would have been built up. Like it was built up in the book. Like, yeah, there were yeah. so many things that were built up in the book that I just felt would have added those colorful, authentic touches to the story that now feels like generic. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's also, I think it's extra sad because the source materials, I mean, again, I've never read it, but it seems to have been like really great. I should read it. I literally have the book. I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, it gets messy. Because, yeah, 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 it's, 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 I feel like you would like it because you, you seem like the type of person who likes messy stories, right? Yeah. Well, because it was, it, it was in my bookshelf and then, like, you know, in the great hole pandemic issue i had to move everything and i i just you know i lost track of where all my books were for a little bit so Mm. now that the holes is patched maybe i can go find it i was yeah Han, i was upset about like sophie and rick piecing out because then i knew we weren't (laughs) gonna get like the big because the big breakup scene in the book isn't really between rick and ever it's between Mm -hmm. ever and sophie yeah, 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 exactly. The friendship is only barely touched upon. And I think the the messiness of friendships, especially when someone ends up dating someone who uh, or if the same guy's into both of you, that's total messiness. And yet it happens. It's so messy. And this this kind of like got rid of that messiness. There's a lot here that they just a missed opportunity. Um, yeah. And I wonder how much of it is like as we always suspect notes, right? Like the studio, whoever's producing it, or even the screenwriters being told this needs to be a certain type of story. So instead of like getting Love Boat Taipei, we get like Love Boat Taipei, but if it was like a lighter, fluffier rom-com. Hmm. But I feel like they did make a, so many changes to this. I'm like, maybe you shouldn't, I mean, I get the whole IP thing, but I feel like like this could have... Yeah, this was not Love Boat Taipei, the movie. It was loosely based off... Yeah, it was inspired by... Like, yeah, inspired got- by Love Boat Taipei. Exactly. That's kind of yeah. what I feel. I think when you change who the main character ends up with, I don't know if that's ever happened in another adaptation of a novel with set characters that you like name them those characters i mean it essentially can turns this into one? fanfic right this is just fanfic no yeah think about it like you you could do any adaptation you want like jane austen but at the end of the day what makes it pride and prejudice is that elizabeth ends up with darcy and jane ends up with bingley like that's kind of set so like are you going to do like pride and prejudice and then not have him like and it's not even like an it's not even like a like a different environment you're setting up because i feel like yeah you know Maybe this happens in like teen, no, not even like teen adaptations of like Shakespeare. Like, no, you kind of know who ends up with who. And it's not like there's like, I mean, obviously in the original book, there were ever Xavier shippers, but then that ship gets sunk in the second book. 
unless we're like not counting that. So it's like it's not even that people were like wishing for like an alternate story. I don't know. It's it just seems some wild choices were made. <laughs> and I mean it I think it all starts also from the fact that they aged up the characters, right? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Ever her dilemma in the original book wasn't that she was trying to get into a, a company. She was waiting for acceptance into like the NYU dance she, program for yeah. college. Oh, that's also another um bone to pick as someone from like the arts world. If you are trying to do something at 22 in the ultra competitive, highly physical world of dance, if you're trying to break in at 22, you are too old. Like like unless you are like a singular talent that like and and we don't really get a lot of backstory like how long she's been working on it like solo it's like if you are not actively pursuing this like you're not going to be competitive at 22 when there have been bitches who are like three not I should stop saying bitches but like you know like <laughs> like people from childhood like working like Miss, Misty Copeland was considered like crazy because she started so late at the age of like 12 or 13 yeah and and that she still has a lot of criticism about her dance form outside of the racism part. Like, you know, there are people who are like, again, I'm sure they're like, I'm just like, like, what world are you like? Maybe I'll be into a dance program. I was like, no, you should. You would be like to get a spot in one of these dance programs. You would be like fucking fighting tooth and nail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's rom-com logic, right? This is just it's meant to be set up and we're not meant to think too much about it. But. I am thinking a lot about it because the original book had a much better setup yeah. um, that made a lot more sense. And I did not understand why that best friend character existed. Yeah. Oh, the white girl on the phone? Yeah. Because yeah. in the yeah, book. Yeah, that was weird. That character was her little sister, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, or you, like, just put it to Sophie. Like, give them more scenes together. Yeah, when I talk about the choices made in this movie and things they could have cut out, that was the one. <laughs> like, it, we easily could have just not had her at all. I literally don't even remember what the best friend said in this movie. So, And you only yeah. see her on screen. So you yeah. can literally have had anybody play that role. Yeah, so I was sitting there thinking, does she come back and do something? And then, no, she didn't. You made no sense. <laughs> Wild shit. Again, it just sounds like a bunch of men made some decisions. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm happy for Abigail Hingwen that she got her adaptation. I you get that check, Abigail. I know her and Arvin, the director, who is a Taiwanese director, like, he's mm-hmm. directed a lot of Taiwanese movies, have been on the, you know, on the circuit p- promoting it. Like, I, I do wonder how she feels about the way that the adaptation turns. Like, I know there's things that she can and can't say about it, but as a fan of her book, I was yeah. like, I was disappointed. I was like, yeah, down. as much as I wanted a, a good rom-com out of this, it was fine, but it was not her book. So I would just say treat it as different properties. Yeah. <laughs> treat it as fanfic. Treat it as different properties. Like, yeah. I think that is the yeah, treat it as take like away. Uh, Mackenzie Dore and who's the other guy? Mackenzie Dore and um, yeah, something O and Charlie O's fanfic of like obviously they're huge ever Xavier shippers and wanted to make their their version a reality. So and I would have been fine. I kind of do they, like I yeah. No, sorry, go. <laughs> no, I would have been fine with that if they had built up everything else. You know, like correctly. I I like you know if they made it made sense. 
<laughs> I, I kind of laugh at that if that is what happened. I was like, I kind of respect that. Like, you're so, you ship so hard. You're like, I'm going to get this job and just like, rewrite this whole fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because they wanted them a bit more age appropriate together. <laughs> so. Maybe. I mean, how much of it do you think is like, as they were like filming, it's like, oh no, this chemistry is not he working. He looks so this old. This chemistry is way better. I, I would, I also wouldn't be surprised if they like, if they're like, okay, we're we're working with the parameters, like bo- like boss Ross Butler, boss Rutler. <laughs> Ross Butler has to be in this movie. He's our star. He's our leading man, leading man star. And we're we've cast Ashley Liao. Like that's who we've cast. And they're like, this is never gonna work. We have to write around that. Like I would not be also would not be surprised if that is what happened. They're like, this is fucking weird. He looks too old. <sighs> oh well. I hope we get love or reunion. I don't know if we. But will, how? Though. But who would we? Who, they would have to just cast new people. I know. It wouldn't make no sense because it's supposed to be Sophie Xavier. So, I mean, and here's the thing. She has a third book coming out in November. So I'm looking forward to that. Maybe yeah. it's just all new characters. Well, the third book is um, centers around her little sister, Pearl. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. So Pearl goes, becomes the second generation of her family to go to Love Boat and experience I what her sister I feel like they really, they really kind of nerfed a franchise here yeah. y'all yeah. i feel like this could have been a pretty decent it could have been cute yeah it could have been a trilogy so maybe they did that on purpose all right well on that note that'll do it for our spoilers on discussion of love boat not love boat taipei love in taipei um <laughs> i think if anything this discussion has brought out is that if you enjoyed this film you should definitely read the book because yes. it is this but better much better yeah book yeah. is great <laughs> Well, that'll do it for us. Um, We'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.